0: Om vasudeva Sutam Devam Deva Devaki Paramanandam Krishnam Vande Jagadgurum Have you heard of Have you heard of ignorance studies Today, I was uh, just coming out of a two-day conference on unknowability at the new school. Akash there was sitting next to me. (laughs) Um, Very interesting conference. And the last speaker in the last session today was a a sociology professor from the University of Sussex. I did not know about it. That There is a full field called Ignorance Studies. They even have a handbook. I asked her in the Q&A session, are you aware that in India, in, uh, in Vedanta, for a period of nearly a thousand years from, say 800 AD, from Shankaracharya's time to about 1700, there was an intense discussion on ignorance, avidya. And she said, no, I don't know that. And uh, So ignorance. <laughs> and and she was very interested. I, I am, uh, she wanted the information and they are going to p- publish articles about the uh, Vedantic concept of ignorance in their R- Rutledge pub- Publishers, a very well-known academic publisher. They are going to um, bring out a handbook of ignorance. <laughs> and so they will have articles about Vedanta. That's what she, she, she is in charge of the project. So she said she will include it in the next time. And she said, I know that there are areas where we are ignorant about it, so uh, we would like to know this. Very interesting uh, conference. There were um, mathematicians, world-famous mathematicians, uh, physicists. John Barrow, a well-known physicist, um, he gave the keynote address yesterday at the Tishman Auditorium in um, the New School. I was just reading How so many physicists, mathematicians, are interested in consciousness studies. One of the latest articles which I read, Ed Witten, who is a physicist, theoretical physicist, string theorist at Princeton University. He is now popularly on the net compared to, that. if we have anybody today of of the stature of Newton and Einstein, it's Ed Witten. So he's like that. Somebody called him the smartest man on the planet today, living person today. So he was asked about consciousness, and this article, uh, it quotes him. I just read it today. He says that, I believe consciousness is going to remain a mystery. As we study the brain further, biologists and neuroscientists will learn more and more about the workings of the brain. But why those workings are associated with something like consciousness, that is going to remain a mystery. And then he goes on to say, I feel it is easier to understand the Big Bang than it is to understand consciousness. Another physicist, Andrei Linde, he's a Russian theoretical physicist. He asks this question, is it then possible that consciousness can exist without matter? We'll, of course, I know you're all Vedanta students, you're all nodding, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Is it possible that consciousness can exist without matter? And then he goes on to say that I believe that the study of the universe and the study of consciousness are connected and probably as science develops further we, we will come to a point where we will realize that we cannot understand the universe we cannot understand one without the other this, uh, consciousness and and the universe so these are extraordinary things for physicists to be saying mathematicians to be saying so we are really living in extraordinary times and when uh, unknowability is the theme of the conference there were uh, historians and uh, l- literature professors and uh, sociologists, anthropologists, uh, psychologists, uh, of course mathematicians, um, climate change scientists from NASA. So they all, the whole theme was, what are the limits to understanding? So I told the professor that it was the ancient Indians, they called it Maya. The theory of Maya. Good. So it will be in the handbook of ignorance. <coughs> the second chact- chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, we were discuss- discussing the uh, section where Arjuna asked a question about the nature of the enlightened person. The word used is very significant, sthita prajna, stabilized wisdom. We often understand many things. We learn many things and understand many things, but we find it difficult to apply it in life. Stabilized wisdom is a person who can, who can live the wisdom, who has understood something and then, then can live it. Eric Fromm, very well-known psychoanalyst, he said, insight divorced from practice remains ineffective you understanding, unless we try it out in life it remains ineffective so sthita pragya is the person who is living what he or she has realized now it is very difficult Krishna points out, if our sensory system and our mind, at two levels there are problems, one is at the sensory system they are very powerful, very turbulent, seeing, hearing, smelling tasting, touching Today there was a professor, um, Stuart, Stuart Feierstein, he uh, is a biologist and his whole life he has been working on smell. How do we smell? And so at the end today somebody asked him, so are you close to it? And he said, we thought we were, we are now about to discard whatever we did, now we are are going to change the whole thing. We suddenly realized, no, it's not that way. Anyway." So, these are very powerful um, systems. Then there is something subtler than the senses, which is even more powerful. The subtler, the more powerful. What is subtler than the senses? The mind. Thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas. So, these two are obstacles. They have to be controlled and brought um, and, and made to Serve our purpose to, to help us on our path to enlightenment Otherwise There are going to be huge obstacles to enlightenment and How so We saw in the verses 62 and 63 um, If you remember Dhyayato visayan punksa Sangaste jayate, Sangat sanjayate kama, Kamat krodho vijayate Krodhat bhavati sammoha Sammohat smriti vibhrama Smriti raṅśād buddhi Buddhināśād As I said last time, like Buddha talked about the eightfold path to liberation. This is the eightfold path to destruction. What are the eight steps to destruction? They are not to be practiced. These are warnings. (laughs) Constantly dwelling on sense objects. Dhyayato vishayan. Dwelling means thinking about, about things of the world. What happens, Sangha steshu, a stickiness develops, a tendency to dwell on that, an attachment to sense objects develops, even without our knowing it. I am thinking about it, I can, I can choose to think about it, I can choose not to think about it. If I say that, I am deluding myself. The moment I try not to think about it, ah. You see. So, Sangha Steshu Pajayati, an attachment, a stickiness comes to it eyes want to see certain things the nose yeah. <laughs> wants to smell certain things touch we like certain touch um, sound then what happens from the that attachment Sangat, that attachment develops into desire a powerful psychic force let me have this let me enjoy that let that be mine let that it could be a person, could be a thing, could be an experience, could be an object, could be a place, a job, an honor, a status, anything. Let that be mine. And from that, if, if those desires are satisfied, then the result is greed, more, more, low, haha. If it's not satisfied, then what it says, growth, haha, anger. Behind every anger, every flash of irritation, is desire thwarted. You say righteous indignation, maybe righteous indignation or whatever, but indignation is indignation. There is something that has been thwarted there, something that you wanted, did not go your way. The result of anger is never, never good, either, uh, the result of desire, the result of desire is never good, either greed or anger. Both of them, same thing. Anger and desire are two sides of the same thing. They're connected. And then, krodha Bhavati sammoha. Delusion comes from uh, anger. What should I do? What should I not do? Um, then he says, sammoha smiti From delusion, all that we learned. All that we learned, all the Vedanta classes and the notes and all, are completely forgotten. All the wisdom, completely forgotten. And Smritir Brhamsad Buddhinashah the, With the loss of memory. Loss of memory He does not mean actually amnesia. It's all there, but I'm, I'm unable to recover. Those who know the story of Mahabharata, you recall Karna, unable to recover the knowledge. At, he was cursed. That when you really need this knowledge, it will not be available to you. So that's a kind of uh, a story which applies to all of us. If we are not really settled in that wisdom, if it's not natural to us, when we really need it, it is not available to us. So smithir, bhangshat, buddhi asha. The intellect then is at a loss to decide. What to say to whom, what to say, what not to say, what to, what to do and what not to do. Completely confused. What I should not say I say it. What I should not do I do it. What I should do I do not uh, do not do it. How do I know that? Because later I have guilt. Guilt is very interesting. How interesting that I feel about my own action. How could I do that? I wish I had not done that. I wish I had not said that. How could I do that? How is that possible? How is guilt possible? I am doing I am acting according to my best Thinking and best interests But no, you have, I am not Sometimes I am acting in such a way which, which we all, we come to regret So regret and guilt It short circuits Anger, desire, short circuits Even neuroscience The neuroscientists said, uh, said that the, When that flash of anger comes Your neocortex Which is supposed to Deal with the more advanced functions of the brain that The thing is, it requires some time. Whereas the animal brain does not require in time. It's designed in such a way to respond immediately to danger. In a flash, it responds. In fight or flight. That's in, a response is in a flash, not a considered response. So the neocortex is bypassed. Even neuroscience says that this is very good psychology, actually. It actually works that way. Now, the next verse. So the goal The final thing is That we fall away From our spiritual path And this is not Forever It happens again and again Sometimes micro incidents Sometimes major problems Then The commentator In this book These old Sanskrit commentaries Are very interesting What they do is They connect the verses So something has been said Before the next verse They will insert a sentence So the whole thing makes sense So this commentator, the one I'm holding here is Sridharaswami. He lived about 700 years ago. His commentary on the Bhagavatam is very well known. He's a master commentator on the Bhagavatam. This is is called Sridhari. Subodhini. Subodhini literally means easily understood. Uh, It's a very simple commentary. So what does he say before the next verse comes? Nanu indriyanam swabhavanam ayam dosho dushpati sthita He says, But the senses are difficult to control. If they are difficult to control, then these faults, what you just mentioned, are very difficult to overcome. They are almost bound to happen to us. And if they are bound to happen, then this stabilized wisdom is not possible. We are talking about. Enlightenment as as the wisdom has been stabilized. sthita pragya. Sthita means stabilized. Pragya, wisdom. But the stabilized wisdom is not possible if this chain of events is is natural. It's bound to happen to us. If it does happen to us, how can I get stabilized wisdom? So the next verse comes. 64. Please repeat after me. Ragadvesha <laughs> viyuktaisto. Ragadvesha Vyukta is Atma Vashir Vidhe Atma, Atma Vashir Vidhe Atma, Prasadam Madhigachati, Prasadam adhigachati. person of controlled senses that person can go and mix with the world interact with the world even enjoy the objects of the senses with controlled senses with the senses in check such a person enjoys a joyful serenity of mind the yeah. word u- used here is prasadam Madhigachati. normally when to a hindu when you say prasad it means the <laughs> it means the offered food the so r- food is very important in religion, so <laughs> the prasad is, is the food that is offered to God and then you take it as prasad. Bhoga is offered to God and is taken as prasad. So uh, sacred food, uh, but here it means the joyful, a serene and joyful state of the mind. A serene and joyful state of the mind, prasada. That is very conducive to spiritual practice. If you have that, spirituality is easy. If one does not have that, it's a terrible struggle. What kind of mind is aimed at here? A joyful yet serene. And not just once, generally. It becomes a tendency, it becomes a a habit to remain in that that state. How do you get that? It says, move around the world, interact with the world, do what you have to do. But with senses in check, under your control. So, one, I I remember it's like somebody was teaching me to drive in in, uh, LA, in California. So, one of the things I remember they said was that don't get too close to the car. The difference between you and the car ahead, uh, there's a certain distance you have to maintain. And that depends upon your speed. So if you're moving slowly, the distance is less. But if you're moving fast, the distance is much more. So that you should be able to stop. Uh, by the time you apply your brakes and the car stops, there will be a distance which is covered and which should ideally be before you hit his, <laughs> hit him. Yeah. They're very funny, the instructors. I had a lot of problem with parallel parking. So, <laughs> By the way, I never mastered it. So, <laughs> uh, so one, of the, one of them went that... Oh, it's very simple. You sort of edge in there and you roll back till you bump into the other car behind. <laughs> Gently, and then you roll forward until you bump into the car in front and then come in back and in between you stop. I f- first, I thought he meant it seriously. <laughs> Only for a moment. Now this, this ability to um, judge the movement of the car so that it will not hit the car in front. It's a very good uh, way of understanding what are the inertias, the psychological inertias within us when we are interacting with the world. What pushes your buttons? The American phrase is there. What makes you angry? What tempts you? What bores you? Exhausts you? Irritates you? Know that and remain within your tolerances. Don't expose yourself to a situation where you are uh, bound, almost bound to fail. Whether it's anger or greed or, or irritation or prejudice or hatred. remain. Try to carefully remain. So that you, you are able to stop before you hit the guy <laughs> ahead of you. So. Raga dvesha How do you do that? Use the senses. To contact their objects. That means deal with the objects in the world. Without Raga dvesha. Raga dvesha means. Attachment and aversion. There is an automatic conditioning where the senses are pulled to their objects. That should not be there. There is an automatic conditioning where instinctively we have aversion to certain people, situation. That also should not be there. The senses should be under the control of the intellect. You see, easier said than done. That's true. <laughs> With this kind of a mind and sensory system, if one interacts with the world, you do your job, talk with people, whatever, relationships, whatever is going on, your mind will remain serene and peaceful. Peaceful, serene and joyful, happy. Arjuna had asked four questions, if you remember. What is the nature of the enlightened person in Samadhi, in meditation, number one. And three questions regarding the nature of the enlightened person while interacting with the world. How does he talk? How does he sit? How does he move around? Kim Prabhasheta, Kimasita, Brajeta Kim. This is the answer to the fourth question. How does this enlightened person move around? Then like move around means not physically move around in that sense. It means how does this person interact with the world? We are acting, we, are, we deal with people, we, we work, um, whatever we are doing in the world. How is that person different from us? Often people are en- engaged with the world impelled by their senses. Trying to go about fulfilling the, d- the demands of the senses. Or the mind. Whereas this person is not like that. Such a person, he says, prasadam madhigachati. Comes to a joyful serenity in God. Joyful serenity in God. So what thinking about this prasada, this joyful serenity in God. You see, the question is this. Those who have read Sri Ramakrishna's teachings, again and again he says, the one thing necessary is a divine restlessness. Just the opposite of serenity and relaxation. He says, divine restlessness, Vyakulata in Sanskrit. In Bengali also, Vyakulata. He says, if you have that, a divine restlessness, I must realize God. I must get enlightenment. I really, really want it. Spiritual motivation. (laughs) If I really want that. But that seems to be quite different from this... Relaxed. Serenity. serenity, Right? They are not different. One must understand this. This is serenity as far as calmness. As far as the world is concerned. And a joy. A delight in in God. In spirituality. You like meditation. Uh, You like hearing about about God. uh, Reading the... Life stories of saints and avatars. You like um, spiritual philosophy, Vedanta, or if you're interested in Buddhism, whatever. You like it. A joy is there. It's not like uh, Vedanta classes, Bhagavad Gita. Somebody asks, you know, when will you finish? <laughs> that's what you don't ask when you're having fun. <laughs> How long do I have to do it? It's like, I know it's good for me, but I wish it would be over. <laughs> no. Those who would sit and listen to Sri Ramakrishna talking, hours and hours, they'd be delighted. Not all of them. There were, many would come out of curiosity. There are very funny incidents. Two friends have come. And one of them is very is entranced by Sri Ramakrishna's talk. Uh, so Always he would talk about God, nothing else. And the other friend is getting restless. And he whispers, let's go. And the, this friend says, a, a, li- a little more, little, just a little more. Once, twice. Then this, uh, his friend gets up and says, Okay, you sit here. I'll go sit in the boat. They had come in a boat. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sit in the boat, wait for <laughs> you there. Like I'm going to sit, I'll go out there and sit in the car. What happens? This person likes it. Likes talk about spirituality, philosophy. And, uh, joyful. You find joy in it. So joy in divine things... And serenity as far as the world is concerned. That is prasada. That is fully compatible with vyakulata. Vyakulata means a divine restlessness. Sri Ramakrishna would say, you know, when, the, when, the, when he would see the sunset, he would weep profusely and say, One more day has gone, O mother. God to him was mother. One more day has gone, O mother. When will I see thee? I have not seen. One more day has gone by without, without seeing thee. Seeing means having the uh, the divine mystic vision of, of Kali. So that is divine restlessness. This will continuously, consistently uplift our minds. Purify our hearts. The more this divine restlessness is there, more purification. And serenity as far as the world is concerned. See, what makes a person worldly? The same restlessness and delight. In worldly things, makes a person more and more worldly. Vyakulata is a neutral word. Vyakulata means restlessness, but vyakulata means restlessness about what? If I'm restless about worldly things, when will I get that? When will that person come? When will this happen? When will my favorite will my favorite sports team team win? Today in that seminar on unknowability. One interesting thing they they had a survey of several thousand people and they asked the people Would you like to know the, if it was possible, would you like to know the exact date and place of your death? More than 80% said no. I was surprised because I would like to know. Yeah. It's interesting for a spiritual person death, physical death is not the end of things. So it's an interesting event. For whom is, then I was thinking. Who, I was surprised, people don't want to know, but then later I thought, it's not surprising. You know, for whom it would be terrible. Who deep within believes, this life is all. And I don't want it to end, no matter how terrible. But, if you are spiritual in any tradition of the world, then you know that this life is not all. It's one page in a book which we are turning over, page after page. This is basic. Such a person who believes this world to be all, this body to be all, this little life to be all, that person will be terrified of death. Ernst Becker, Becker wrote that Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Denial of Death. It goes very well. I mean, I didn't tell the professor that if it is true that we, one of the most profound impulses we have is to deny death the the inevitability of death psychologically deny it then obviously I wouldn't want to know when when I'm going to die and one of the questions in that questionnaire was in that survey would you like to know the outcome of uh, of the sports match of your favorite team in some game and most people said yes (laughs) that I'm curious about my own death it's not that I'm not curious about my own death it's just that I I can't think about it think about it no problem at all no really, if we knew that we have died thousands of times then it would be, oh one more death, okay fine. <laughs> so what we are upset about and what we find joy in, that decides whether we will be uplifted, become more sublime or more worldly. If you are uh, upset about not realizing God if you are upset, if you, are, if you find joy in thinking about God, that joy and that being upset actually continuously helps you onward in spiritual life. But if my mind is upset about worldly things, so the practice here, the principle here is try to maintain serenity about worldly events. When um, things go your way, do not be overjoyed. Nice things happen. It's okay, nice. I note it, it's nice. You're allowed to give a little smile. Good. <laughs> Things don't go our way. You say, oh, too bad. Fine. That's all right. One Swami in Chennai, he put it so well. He said, Vedanta should enable you to do this much. To go from what to so what. (laughs) On the basis of Vedantic learning. Forget enlightenment is maybe far away. Right now, on the basis of a Vedantic understanding. If you are spiritual in any way. It, this should this should be the effect if you are if you are devoted to god in any form or if you are a seeker after self knowledge in any form this should be the effect to whatever happens in the world especially bad things unexpected unwanted unpleasant so what there'll be an initial reaction what but then so what that that kind of serenity regarding happenings in the world those who get very happy about nice things are going to get very unhappy about unpleasant things you are opening yourself the higher they fly the harder they fall our Swami Atmarupanji was telling us See, in this country, uh, we are always expected to be excited. Aren't you excited for anything? (laughs) And if you don't have a huge smiley, there's something wrong with you, terribly wrong with you. Prozac. (laughs) Aren't you excited? Why should you be excited? So he gives this funny example. He says, a new serial has come out. And the advertisement shows that a cereal has come out. Wow, this is great, this is fantastic, wow. And no, no. Nothing is what, no food is worth saying that for. If you react like that to a new cereal, there's something deeply wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you can say, nice, fine. That's all right. So, as far as worldly events are concerned, Neither too much excitement when things go your way And nor too much disappointment or reaction You know, in frustration or unhappiness or anger When things do not go your way yeah. If the mind stays with God Or in your particular preferred spiritual um, mode Be happy there Another point A little deeper point Whether it is Vyakulata, the divine, that restlessness Worldly or spiritual or it is this prasada, a calm delight, profound delight, worldly or spiritual. In that state of the mind, this is the Sanskrit word is dravita, which means melts. The inner being, the subtle being within our, our inner psyche, as if it were, it, not physically melts, but it melts means it becomes soft, impressionable. The sadhu said dravit ho jata it, it As if the inner being melts And at that point It's like uh, wax you know, When you want to put an impression on it they used to, In the old days They used to put a stamp on it They would melt it first And then put the stamp on it And that it would retain the stamp So when this inner being is melted By calm, peaceful happiness Or by a restlessness By delight or by restlessness At that time whatever you are entertaining with that object of delight or restlessness that will be imprinted deeply upon the mind. Therefore, the delight or that restlessness should not be wasted on the world. If you do it with anything with the world, a person, a relationship, even things which are nice. Many people, children are the cause of this. (laughs) Both delight and more more than that restlessness. (laughs) It's not a divine restlessness. It's, uh, and the more you do that, the more strongly those impressions are, are driven into the mind. That should be done for God. If you're going to be unhappy, be unhappy that you have not realized God yet. If you're going to take delight, be delighted in the thought of God, whichever way delights you. Tulsidas. The great poet saint medieval time in India, he said that um, Krishna and the gopis, you know, about talking about the love of the gopis for Krishna, they wept for him. It is even the unhappiness of weeping for God. Is greater than the greatest happiness that... Gives much more happiness than the greatest happiness that the world can provide. Let me repeat that. Even the unhappiness of weeping for God. Of missing God. The divine unhappiness. It it gives you more happiness than the greatest happiness that the world can provide. Mm -hmm. Viraha. It's called viraha. Viraha is missing God. Unhappy for God. That I do not... The, the absence of God, so they have it in any kind of devotional mysticism, Christian uh, devotional mysticism, Vaishnava devotional mysticism. Advaita is uh, Advaita is it's right here, right now. What are you missing? <laughs> they are very dry people. So yeah, yes. True, true. It's a very good question. If we experience that tragedy, that unhappiness, any kind of worldly unhappiness also, a skillful way would be the sadhaka, the spiritual practitioner, would try to connect it to God. So I'm weeping for something in the world, but I connect it to God. So that actually I'm weeping for God. The way to do that is to put your unhappiness at the feet of the Lord. That... I, your, your son or daughter, I am unhappy, I am weeping for this. Oh my Lord, take care of this. So I connect it to, 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 my, to my beloved. These are all uh, methods, skills in bhakti yoga, in the path of devotion. So th- this is a, these are points I wanted to make about serenity and serenity and restlessness. Both are useful. When they are connected to God. Both are dangerous. When they are connected to the world. Taking delight in the world. Or being restless with the world. Makes you more worldly. Taking delight in God. Or being restless for God. Makes you more spiritual. Now once that prasada. That serene delight in God comes. Then what happens? 65. Oh look. The commentator said exactly that in Sanskrit 700 years ago. Prasade satit Kingsyad If if that prasada comes, then what happens? So The, the connecting. <laughs> 65th verse. Prasade Sarvadukhanam Prasade Sarvadukhanam Hani Rasyo Pajayate Hani Rasyo Prasanna chetaso hyashu prasanna hyashu buddhi pariyavatishtate, buddhi When that serene joy in God, that's how I'm translating prasada, there is delight. So prasada is actually difficult to translate into English because it's a, it has the meaning of delight, a kind of happiness, a pure happiness. It also has the, the meaning of Prasanna Cheta, that means a kind of wholesome calmness of mind. When that happens, two results will be there. One is, Sarva Dukkana Mahani Rasyo One overcomes all kinds of suffering, unhappiness. And the second one is, Buddhi Pariyavatishtate. This wisdom, the one which I have learned, which I am trying to practice, that becomes settled, that becomes steady. We are able to hold on to it. And actually put it into practice. So, this state of mind is very good for spiritual life. Suffering is overcome. In this state of mind, suffering is overcome. In every other state of mind, there is suffering. What is the other state of mind? When I'm trying to fulfill, trying to get happiness from the world. So, if I get happiness from contact with chosen, with desirable objects in the world. What I like to eat, the person I like, the company of the person I like, the activity I like, the job I like, the place I like, the clothes I like. the Contact with these things. It gives a flash of pleasure in the mind. But that's very worldly. And that creates only desire for more. And it immediately we get what is called satiated, used to it. And then we want more and more of that or more varieties of that. So even when you succeed in getting what you want in worldly life, that really does not, is not conducive to lasting happiness. And when we do not get what we want in worldly life, the result is immediately unhappiness. So the worldly pleasure, worldly pleasure, the Buddhists say that even that is, un, uh, uh, that is pain. Why? Because before pleasure, there is pain because you have to work hard for it to get what you want. When you have it, then it is not satisfying, that is painful. There is the fear of losing it, that is painful. And then you want more and more of it and different varieties of it, that is painful. And then it will go away. So that is painful also. <laughs> so the beginning and the end of pleasure is pain. And underneath when you are enjoying pleasure, it's just pain in disguise. So this can really rain on your parade. <laughs> A birthday is just one year closer to the end. <laughs> <laughs> when the child is born, they, it, really the texts say when the child is born, that's the beginning of death. The countdown to death. Yeah. So they can re- really, <laughs> reign, but it's true. Yeah. It's true. And pain is, so pleasure is pain and pain of course is pain. It's at least honest. <laughs> 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 see isn't that pessimistic? No, it's realistic. A uh, great Indologist, I forget his name He said Contrary to our misunderstanding of Indian thought, it is not pessimistic It is actually optimistic What is pessimism? When they tell you the situation is bad and there's no hope It's pessimism But all systems of Indian thought Except the materialist, Charwaka, but all systems, whether Hindu or Jain or Buddhist They all of them, they are, the whole point is that there is a solution to it Call it Nirvana, Moksha, um, Kaivalya, whatever the ancient, many ancient names are there for that. There is a possibility of transcending suffering. That is not um, pessimism. That's actually a, a very deep optimism. What is pessimism is the modern attitude. What is the modern attitude? We know things are bad, but this is all that there is, so do the best you can. That is optimism. That is pessimism. <laughs> Things are bad, they are going to get worse and then you will die, but this is what, will do the best you can as long as you live. This is pessimism. This is pessimism. Prasade sarva dukkhanam hani rasyo pajayate. All sorrows are overcome when you have that serene uh, joy in spiritual matters. And. Buddhi, Yashu, the word Ashu means quickly. For such a person, the, what that person learns, understands and decides this is good, that person can do it in life. This is a very big thing. Why is it that after reading so many things and attending so many seminars and workshops and classes and making up our mind and in New Year's resolution that I'm going to do this. I'm going to make these, these and that, this, that and the other change in my life. And yet years later we, we are not we are not really making many many big changes in our lives why why are we unable to do that it's because nothing wrong with those ideals nothing wrong with our resolution also what's wrong is with the execution the execution is in the hands of the sensory system and the mind they are not cooperating with us whatever you choose to do you do it for 2 days and then don't do it for 3 more days so two steps forward and three steps back that's the problem and the problem is with the sensory system and with the with the mind prasanna hyashu buddhi for a person with this serene and joyful mind serene and joyful in god the intellect the understanding becomes quickly converted into practice and then he says just the opposite comparing it if you don't have that then what happens. 66. A very nice verse. Nasti buddhi ayuktasya. Nasti buddhi ayuktasya. Naca yuktasya bhavana. Naca yuktasya bhavana. nacha bhava yata shanti. nacha bhava yata shanti ashantasya kutasukham ashantasya kutasukham Understanding is not st- steady in a person who is not focused. Yukta means focused in spiritual life. Concent- concentration. The person who do- is not focused is scattered. For that person the understanding is not steady. And without clarity... There's no meditation. For a person who's focused, not focused, meditation also is not possible. Nacha bhavana. Nacha shanti. And without meditation, without assimilating these spiritual truths in meditation, making it one with yourself, no peace is possible. And without peace, peace, without shanti, kuthas sukham. where is this the spiritual joy? This spiritual joy he's talking about comes after the peace, peace uh, attained through. Uh, Meditation Um, Interesting analysis Sukha, Shanti, Ananda I mentioned it a couple of days ago Sukha means pleasure The Sanskrit word Sukha normally means pleasure Not here though, here it means something else But Sukha usually means pleasure So I like a cookie, I I put it on my tongue And what happens, the object Desired object comes in contact with With the sense organ And produces a flash of pleasure in sanskrit sukha vritti. the mind takes the form of a of a pleasurable <laughs> sensation so this this worldly pleasure its basic format is the the object should come in con- contact with the corresponding sense so i like to eat something should I, when i taste it i like somebody when i see that person i Um, Like some music When I hear that music So object, sound, sight, taste Coming into contact with the sense organ And it produces sukha This is the nature of worldly worldly pleasure This is sukha It is uh, It comes and goes Very clearly It is subject to increase and decrease More sukha, more sukha, less sukha, less sukha We get uh, used to it, satiated. So we want more and varieties of it. So these are the problems with sukha. I like quoting Somerset Maugham. He says, if you single-mindedly chase pleasure, very soon you find nothing pleasing anymore. This is sukha, the nature of worldly pleasure. In comparison to this, there is shanti. Shanti means peace. What kind of peace? When you shut down this chasing after worldly pleasure... And serenely become centered, mindful centered inwards, not rushing outwards, trying to grasp this and that. And serenely centered inwards, that peace of the quiet mind, that is shanti. Quiet sense organs, quiet mind is shanti. That is peace. Eric Frommer, whom I quoted, he also said a wise thing. He said... Pleasure these days, he means our modern society. Pleasure these days is basically building up tension and releasing it. What it has become become in modern society is a build up tension by advertisement. Nice, I want it, want it, want it. iPhone 7, iPhone 8, iPhone 9, want it, want it, want it. Then you get it. Ah, then gone. Now next another thing comes on. Want it, want it, builds up. Then you get it. So building up tension and releasing it. That, That is pleasure. Um, The modern form of pleasure You can see why it leads to unhappiness Shanti is peace Notice another thing Shanti, peace Is of one type only What I mean by that is Disturbance As many types of disturbing agents Are there so many types of disturbance Uh, Who said that? One of the professors today in the seminar said uh, Somebody asked Tolstoy Not Tolstoy Tolstoy uh, one, one of the, who, who wrote Anna Karenina? Tolstoy. Tolstoy, Yeah. somebody asked Tolstoy, why do you write about unhappy people, unhappy families? He says happy families are all happy in the same way, but unhappy families are all happy in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> so you have more to write about, there are many more things to be unhappy about. So, disturbance, unhappiness, pain, uh, they are all different. Anger is one kind of disturbance. But quietening that anger Akrodhaha When the anger is gone that peace Uh, Greed is another kind of disturbance. Greed and anger are different. They feel different. Right? You are are with me? You understand? Greed is different. Lust is different. Envy is different. Hmm? Ambition. Worldly ambition different. But their cessation, the peace that follows when they are, they are completely gone, all, it's all of the same kind. Peace is of one kind only. The absence of anger, the absence of greed, the absence of jealousy, the absence of, of uh, hatred, the same kind of peace. Peace is one and the same. Disturbance is manifold. Yes? So me, I have a feeling... Philosophy mindset that uh, everything is same, like Advaita. Yes. So for me, there is no sin, there is no good, there is no bad, everything is same. Yeah. So I enjoy everything. Right. And I enjoy looking at you, I enjoy sitting, I enjoy breathing, I enjoy talking. Right. So for me, that is uh, Sukha, everything d- is Sukha, so there is no Dukha for me, never. That is true. From yeah. from an Advaitic perspective, that's true. So this is from what I'm saying is from a worldly perspective, Advaitic perspective. That's true. If you see the one reality inside and outside, at least even if we understand that, it's a great step forward. That there is oneness inside and outside. Well, my so wife I, is not happy with that. Yeah, <laughs> I think good is good and bad is bad. You know? But bad is also good. The bad is also my children. True. I love bad too. It's equal. <laughs> Now, now uh, here is one thing to understand. Good and bad in personal life. Why, if you ask, why do we do bad things personally? It's because, um, so tell a lie. Why? Either because I'm tempted, it will get me something I really want. Or I'm scared of losing something, I'm terrified. And therefore, I tell a lie. I don't tell a lie out of the spiritual joy of my heart, no. <laughs> I tell a lie under, under stress, under duress. Nobody goes around robbing and murdering people as spiritual practice. <laughs> Notice one thing, so this is the interesting thing. Therefore, now why would I want something or why would I be scared of something? It's because I'm not settled in that Advaitic vision. A person who has who settled in that Advaitic serenity The non-dual serenity What would that person want? Nothing. Is, is basically deep within, Is fulfilled The person may go around doing his job and duty in the world That's what Krishna told Arjuna to do But deep within, for one's personal satisfaction I am happy And so with this life, with this body and mind I do things for others It's not I don't need anything I'm fulfilled Being fulfilled myself, I give So, I would not want anything. So, not wanting anything, not being afraid also. If I am that reality beyond body and mind, at the worst, what could happen? This body will die. Which it will die anyway one day. So, I am not afraid of death. Being not afraid and not depending on the world to fulfill, fulfill me, I am neither scared nor tempted. Therefore, this is an important point. A person well settled in this settled wisdom, Will not do bad things Will not do bad things uh, I, One, I'll get, uh, hold on to that um, Sri Ramakrishna gives an example One person who is to teach Advaita, a monk Was a corrupt person And he came to that uh, the temple and Sri Ramakrishna, they saw that He was having an illicit affair And then Sri Ramakrishna went and said, hey You teach everything, high things about Vedanta, but why are you doing that? And then uh, this monk, he said, Why? The whole world is false, it's an appearance, why are you only catching my falsity? (laughs) (laughs) Then, Sri Ramakrishna, this is very important, he said, he, he was at first flabbergasted with this kind of argument and then he said, I spit upon such Vedantic knowledge. This is, what is happening is, Notice what I said earlier, a person who is settled in, in, in uh, non-dual knowledge would not be tempted by such things. Why would this person be tempted to do something secret and illicit? Why? If you are really deep inside fulfilled, why would you go out looking for fulfillment etc. And, and especially uh, jumping over the fences of, 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 of moral and decent behavior. So would not do that. What is this person doing? He's not only doing that. Also, now is justifying his behavior using uh, Vedanta philosophy. So, Sri Ramakrishna said, I spit upon such Vedanta. So, remember one thing a person who is settled in uh, a spiritual, in in the vision of oneness, or even convinced, or even practicing that, that person will not do anything bad. And that person will always try to do good. And whatever is the duty of that person in that particular uh, station of life, if you are a father, take care of your children. If you are a, an employee in a company, you will do what is expected of you. I mean, whatever is uh, moral and right. So, then the person next to you should not be, should not have a complaint. person, w- When do we have a complaint against a person who is practicing this kind of philosophy? It's, it's only when we find there's an incongruence between very high philosophical talk and personal life. Then because we become upset. Because she has fear. Because she loved me too much. Attachment. Uh-huh. Then I tend, you know. No, no, I no. Did anything. And absolutely not. There's no, no need to be uh, afraid. The more spiritually centered you are, the more lovable you are, the more dependable you are. Whom would you want on your side? Suppose you're in court one day. See a person who is fanatically committed to the truth, come what may, may be quite irritating. Uh-huh. But if you, one day you are in court and that person has to uh, give uh, a testimony on your behalf, you would want such a person on your side. So it's always good to uh, to one is very lucky to have a, a person who's spiritual. But of course, one should be careful. Don't have a like a flag waving kind of spirituality. <laughs> I am more spiritual than you. <laughs> no, a truly spiritual person feels one with everybody. It does not feel superior. To actually, genuinely, will not feel superior to anybody because that that one reality which you see is present everywhere. It's there within you and equally within. Him and her and your wife and me So it's, it's one everywhere Now if the children are doing something bad You need to scold them, of course you'll scold them Advaita Vedanta is not against moral life It in fact provides the foundation to morality Why do we need morality? Truth is a better expression of that Brahman, that one reality than falsehood Peace is a better expression than anger. Calmness, better expression, than irritation. Right? Yeah. A spiritual person is much more dependable. Genuinely spiritual person. <laughs> yeah, much more dependable. It's those who are say we'll come to it lack of focus is those whose minds are strongly enmeshed in worldliness. You can never depend on such people. In the worst of circumstances, they'll, leave, and they'll um, abandon you. Because they are guided by forces beyond their control. Some, do you still remember your question? Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought the question was slightly hypothetical because once you get to the Advaita state, mm-hmm. why would you distinguish between I and her? Is there really a distinction because you're already identifying everything to be you? True, but at the Vyavaharika level you, level, you see yourself and you see the other person also. Now the other person has, you're feeling that the other person has a concern about me. Uh-huh. So, you know, deep within, you are one with everybody. But does that, does that worry the other person? It shouldn't. Does it worry me or does it worry no, does he You're uh, he saying it worries the other person. Right. Uh, so, what what about that? It should not, I'm saying that It should not worry the other person. uh, If you have spiritual people in your family, you're very happy with that. Mm. One lady asked Swami Ashokanand in the Bay Area, 1950s, that I'm losing interest in many things that other married women of my age, they do parties and stuff like that. And Ashokanji was very stern. He said, when you start coming to in this path people will think that oh mum is no fun anymore. She's become boring. Uh, but friends they start moving away from you. Good riddance I say. <laughs> but after some time that will change into indifference towards you. And after some time it will change into uh, a liking towards you. A dependence, liking, a reliance. Uh, that will happen. But try to keep the spirituality undercover. <laughs> Nobody likes uh, sanctimoniousness. <laughs> we'll do this verse next time then. Focus is, a, uh, is something. Alright, let me talk about it a little bit. We'll do it now. So focus is very important. The difference between an ordinary person and a great person lies in the degree of concentration. Swami Vivekananda himself he said. Remember, this is, these are the practices towards enlightenment or stabilization of enlightenment. So, one of the, the one things necessary for this practice is focus. And this focus will not come if a lot of worldly desires are there. One day that person desires success. Another day desires appreciation. Another place it desires um, you know, nice food, music, something like that. All of those are fine. But they should not worry you. If they are there, very good. If they are not there, even better. That, that should be the, the, the position. And that does not mean you will go around for stopping other people from enjoying that. No, not at all. Yeah. So, when the senses are under control, focus becomes natural. One thing I noticed about Sri Ramakrishna, uh, Holy Mother Swami Vivekananda, the direct disciples, in fact, all the saints, the lives I've read, they are very different from each other. They are all very different from each other. But one of the common qualities they had was a kind of... Determination to hold on to one thing and finish it. There's so many stories about their lives. I think it was who was it? Swami Trigunati Tananda. Who sits down in the Baranagar monastery and he's doing Japa, repeating the mantra. And his brothers, other monks, they get worried. He is not coming for food, he's missing his food and sleep and all. And they said, Brother, come and take food and then you can go and repeat the mantra. He said, No. I will repeat it until I get enlightenment. I don't want to uh, eat. I mean, I could die. So yes. finally, a compromise was worked out. He had great reverence for Swami Shivananda. Uh, so Tr- Trigunathidasananda Maharaj had great reverence for Swami Shivananda there. So he said, on one condition, I will eat. Uh, the, the brother the Swami Shivananda Tarakda, he has to sit next to me and repeat the mantra. I will touch him and eat quickly, <laughs> and then I will start to re- All of them had that. Swami Vivekananda. And we are reading the life story of Sri Ramakrishna in childhood. One thing there's noticed was a tremendous tenacity. He would forget everything else when he took up one thing and finished that. So focus. This is called Yuktaha. Remember Vedanta is three steps. Shravana, Manana, nididhyasana. Shravana is when you receive the teachings. There must be focus. There must be um, listening sharply. Alert. That's why in older days, I have also seen teachers who would make you memorize the text. That requires some commitment to memorize the text. And I have heard of teachers who were so strict that Whatever was taught in the last class you would have to come and repeat those, at least the text, the verses. If one could not repeat it, you would be shunned forever, banned forever from the class. So that kind of commitment. That is the first stage Shavana To receive the teaching Once the teaching is received If that kind of commitment is not there That manana The next stage That the thinking over it Clarifying That will not come Clarity will not be there And without that clarity uh, Bhavana Bhavana here means Meditation Without that clarity Vedantic meditation nididhyasana, is not possible It's not possible and without that meditation he says peace will not come. And without peace, that sukha, he mentions here sukha, that sukha is not, not uh, worldly happiness. It's not even the prasada which was mentioned earlier, earlier. A serene joyfulness, not even that. It is the bliss of God realization. Here the commentator says, sukha, here, is not that worldly happiness. Mokshanandaha, the bliss of moksha, brahmananda, the bliss of God realization, enlightenment. So that's the final sukha. That does not come unless the mind is completely at peace. And the mind is not completely at at peace unless you have meditated upon uh, the teachings. And you cannot meditate upon the teachings unless there is clarity. There is no clarity unless there is focus. Focus, clarity, meditation. Then only peace and liberation. Focus at shravana level. Clarity at manana level and uh, meditation, that is um, nididhyasana level. One final Did somebody ever t- have a question? There is a very silly joke, but I must tell you because <laughs> I just remembered this. So, it's actually a pun on words. Those who are Indians, you speak Bengali or Hindi will understand it immediately. Otherwise it will be a very, not very funny translation. But anyway, I'll try. So This verse. Nasti buddhi ayuktasya nachayuktasya bhavana. So cha ayukta. Ayukta means the one who is not focused. So that person, meditation is also impossible. Neither clarity is possible nor meditation is possible. But the actual Sanskrit words, if you see, Cha so, one Swami, um, he used to love tea, which in Bengali and Hindi is cha, this, this word. And somebody criticized him. Why are you are addicted to tea? What kind of a monk are you? So, don't you know the Gita says, Nacha <laughs> there is no meditation possible without a cup of tea. <laughs> He's not very far from the truth. The, uh, the Japanese tea ceremony is actually a part of a Zen practice. Yeah. I think that's the caffeine keeps you awake and alert. <laughs> I don't know. But, but there are stories. Bodhidharma, who spread Buddhism to China, Tibet and China. He is also the source of Kung Fu, Bodhidharma. In China, it's called Daruma, or Japanese, I think, it's called Daruma. So he was an Indian monk from Andhra. And he went, so there are many stories about him in China, and he taught them meditation. Uh, He also introduced a set of exercises which later became Shaolin Kung Fu. (laughs) So, you can't imagine, unthinkable, Indians teaching Kung Fu to the Chinese, it's just the opposite. (laughs) But if you look it up, the story is there, that's uh, actually the legend in China, not in India, we don't know much about him in India so one of the stories is how did tea come? so this dharma, Bodhi, uh, uh, bodhidharma he was meditating he would, stare, he would face the wall of the, of the cave and stare at that and meditate for hours and hours one day he f- felt uh, sleepy his eyes closed in spite of himself it's an occupational hazard of a meditator <laughs> eyes closed in spite of himself and so, uh, he was so furious with himself, he tore off his eyelids so that he could never, never, it's a bit gruesome, and then he threw them away so that he could never close his uh, eyes again. And, uh, and the story is, for where those eyelids fell, from that a plant grew. And the leaves of that plant, if you crush it and put it in hot water and drink it, you will not feel sleepy. So that's tea. <laughs> that's the story. Just uh, no, no, I'm not saying that you have to take tea before meditation. <laughs> and certainly not coffee, because that uh, agitates the mind. Very good. On this note. <laughs> <laughs> om Shanti 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 Hari hi Om Tatsat. Shri Rama Krishna Rupa Namastu